Good evening. Uh, my name's Tim, if I haven't met you. Um, if you're new, I'd like to quickly reiterate our welcome to you. Um, it's great to have you here. Um, this evening, we're going to look at a section um, in, in the Bible, a book called Exodus, the series that we're doing at the moment. Um, and we're going to look at um, a bit more of this God that Haley was sharing about who exceeds expectations. Through the truth, the truth of who Jesus is, and what the Bible says about him is, is good news simply for everyone. And this isn't good news that we might uh, read on the, or listen to on the radio, but has no practical impact for our lives. This is good news that has impact for us. And so I'd encourage you to, to be receptive to God speaking to you this evening through this. We're going to jump into the middle of a story. Um, so it's important we start by looking at who the main characters were. So we've got, we've got Moses. He's 80 years old, uh, a former shepherd um, and future main character in a whole host of films. We've, we've, got, we've got God, uh, somewhat older, somewhat more experienced, um, and creator of all things. We've got the Israelites. Now they're the people that Moses is a part of, and they're currently slaves. And then we've got Pharaoh. Um, he is the, the ruler of the Egyptian empire, um, probably the most powerful nation um, of, of its day. Um, think, think the US or China. And so, so far in our series, we've, um, we've seen the Israelites cry out to God because they're, they're in slavery. God hears them, cue an incident of a burning bush and a, and a promise of freedom. Um, we looked at that last week. And then we heard about how they were promised freedom. They have a, they have a little worship party. Um, can you kind of imagine what that would be like? Liberation was in the air. All that they had hoped for was now promised to them. Moses then, as you might expect, goes to Pharaoh. Um, this is the first clash um, of Moses and Pharaoh. And that's what we're looking at today. So Moses... Um, goes to Pharaoh and with his brother Aaron and says, I've got on the screens, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. They do what God has said to do. Pharaoh's reply, however, is not what Moses expected. He says no. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Moses' request has fallen on deaf ears. He dismisses him out of hand, probably somewhat curious at this 80-year-old um, man who's had the audacity to come and talk to him. He waves him away. It's a no. Pharaoh likes his slaves. Not only that, but Pharaoh thinks the Israelites must have grown lazy if they are uh, complaining, and so he, inc he increases their work he forces them to start collecting their own straw. Um, their task was to make bricks, and I don't know much about the brick production industry, but it, but it seems that it involved needing straw, and so now they have to find their own straw. Um, what we do know is that it massively increased the amount of work they had to do, and it was almost impossible for them to get all the, the bricks they had to build um, or made, made. And so some of them get beaten for failing to to make enough bricks. It seems that all has gone wrong. Moses, in faith, did what God said to do. 
He asked Pharaoh that they could go into the desert, but Pharaoh said no, and their situation has gotten worse. Let's see what happens next before we take a look at what's going on in this wider story. So starting in um, chapter 5 in your Bibles, um, verse 19. Or 20, I think. They, that's the other Israelites, um, met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge you, because you have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. About a, um, about a year and a half ago, um, that September, um, I started uh, a home group, which is one of the, kind of the midweek um, gatherings we have here at church. Um, and so in the summer before, I had all sorts of ideas as to what we might do. Um, I thought about it, I dreamed about it, I, I planned it. I spent some time praying about it. And so September rolled along, um, and we got ready to go. Um, and for weeks, no one came, um, which, which was kind of odd. Um, and kind of confusing and disappointing. I spent over a month of Thursday evenings sat alone in my living room. Um, um, and yet, at times, at times in that, there was disappointment, feelings of failure, confusion with God. Why wasn't he doing something? Why was no one coming? Um, confusion with myself and frustration and disappointment. Can I not do this? Am I, am I good enough? Why has this gone wrong? Disappointment, deflated hopes, they can really sting. Here, Moses and the Israelites know great disappointment. They expected to be set free, but now they have more work. Just before, the people are worshipping God at the promise of freedom. Well, now they come to Moses at the start of this passage today, and they curse him. They say to him, 
You have made us a stink in the sight of the Egyptians. You have made them despise us, and now we have more work. In their disappointment, they turn on their leader. Their expectation, due to what God had said, was up here, that they'd be set free. But they, they feel let down when they find themselves still in slavery. Well, for Moses, he turns to God and says, What are you doing? Verses 22 and 23. Why did you send me? I thought you were going to deliver us. But you have just made things worse for your people. You have not delivered your people at all. Moses is confused and in pain. He had faith in God that he would deliver them from Pharaoh, and that hasn't happened. The author sums up um, how the Israelites, and I think also Moses, are feeling in verse 9. It says they had a broken spirit. The original language here for, for broken spirit carries the literal meaning of shortness. You could say they had a short spirit. Um, and here we see the Israelites and Moses have a short view. Um, their minds are dominated by their immediate circumstances and their disappointment there. Disappointment can be really painful. Do you know what it's like to have hopes crushed? Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I describe their broken spirit. Some of you know what it is like um, to have hoped for something, perhaps even felt like God was going to say it would, has said it would happen, but it's not materialized. Perhaps you've been praying regularly in faith for a long-term physical or mental um, illness. At times, expect at times in faith that God will act. You know he's a healing God, but you, you haven't seen any improvement. Or perhaps you've been regularly praying for a friend who you'd love to know who Jesus is, but you just haven't seen that happen in their lives. Perhaps like the Israelites here, your life just isn't how you expected it would be. Um, you imagined perhaps a certain lifestyle after university, um, that grad job with all its um, purpose and challenge and the lifestyle it carries. But you found your job to be not all that, not that fulfilling, disappointing. Or you've wanted to be in a relationship for some time, perhaps even expected to be thinking about marriage. But from what you can see, that doesn't look close. Or perhaps there's something that you previously cherished, but hoping, longed for, cared for, that now just tastes like ashes in your mouth. It's, it's fallen apart. The weight of disappointment can hang over us and cause pain. It causes questions like, am I good enough? What is God doing? What is it for you? It can be hard not to carry around the weight of, of disappointment. And I think this is partly because, as a culture, we have a, a deep-rooted propensity towards perfectionism. Um, you are regularly told that you can be entirely accomplished, sane, and successful. <laughs> as a result, you end up feeling like you are unsuccessful, weak, and that you're wasting your life. Disappointed. This passage we're looking at today shows us something of the consequence of disappointment, which I want to look at briefly to draw that out so we see why it's important we deal with it before we look at how God responds to Moses in his pain. 
disappointment can damage our relationship with God. And if left to simmer, turn us from him completely. Look at the Israelites here, verse 9. We see Moses um, trying to encourage them with what God has said, but they refuse to listen to it. They have closed themselves off from the truth. They have closed themselves off from God. At one point um, elsewhere, they even run to Pharaoh for help, who has them in slavery. They have things upside down. Their hearts, their, their hearts were closed to God. The small disappointment we might carry around in our lives, that silent frustration at the, the circumstances in our lives, left alone, it, it will work to smother the flame of our passion for God. In the New Testament, um, Paul encourages a guy called Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that is in him. We are to practice the giftings that God has given us and to, to fan into flame our passion for him. But carrying disappointment will work to smother what we want to fan into flame. His intention for us is to know joy and peace and to enjoy him. Disappointment will instead rob us of joy, rob us of peace, and limit our faith in the future in him. I know that if I'm carrying that weight of disappointment, it's going to limit my confidence in taking that next step to put Jesus first and a faith-filled step in my life. Disappointment can drain our life with God. It is important we deal with those that we carry. So how then does God respond to their disappointment here? Firstly, well, does, does God lecture Moses um, for his lack of faith? I mean, it hasn't been very long since God told Moses what he's telling him again here. You might think that he would be annoyed or frustrated with Moses or disappointed. Verse 1 says, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. No, he isn't frustrated with Moses. Instead, he meets him exactly where he's at and reminds him of who God is. He starts and ends a section with a reminder that he is the Lord. When you are left with an area of, of disappointment in, in your life, when you've had faith for something, stepped out, but it's not worked out, you can go to him and be honest. Talk to God. Express it to him. It says in Psalm 30, um, for the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He has so much time for you. He knows you need to hear things again. Um, at, at school, um, I was thinking, I, I was really terrible at English. Um, I really struggled with the rules of grammar in particular. Um, so when I was doing my GCSEs, um, my English teacher gave me um, a book of like Penguin's Basics Guide to um, English Grammar. Um, it was kind of embarrassing. It was, it was for primary school kids, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm 16, and oh, this is embarrassing. But, um, and, and, and my teacher would continually repeat to me the rules inside of this book, and knowing I needed to hear the truth again and again and again to pass my exams. God knows us very well. He knows, um, he knew Moses needed to hear the truth again. He knows we need to hear the truth again and again and again. 
the truth that God is in control, that he is working. Take it to him. Then um, after, after God is, has showed Moses that he will act, that it is he that will come free for him, God responds to their broken spirit, to their short spirit with a long view. He responds to their short view with a long view. Short view, mis- short view disappointment meets a big view God. First, God gets Moses to look back. He says... I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live as sojourners. Um, God starts talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, who are these ancestors, ancestors of Moses? Um, and they lived in this place called Canaan, hundreds of years before, hundreds of miles away. God reminds Moses of how he made a covenant with them, which is like a promise of how he would act towards them. God is drawing Moses back to these promises because in these promises, God has tied himself to to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and also their ancestors, Moses and the Israelites. Um, what does it mean that he's, he's tied himself to them? And why is this important when we think about disappointment? Um, whenever I'm at, I'm at home, I spend my t- at my parents' house. Um, I end up watching loads of random TV that I wouldn't normally do, than if anyone else also does. Um, and one show that pops up is Dragon's Den, um, where you get these entrepreneurs showing off their inventions um, to the dragons, who are these very successful business people. They hope to get some investment um, and assistance from the dragons. And when the dragons do um, buy a share of the business, they're in effect saying that they back the entrepreneur, that they believe in them, that they are happy to be associated with them and will work to see the business succeed. If the business fails terribly, that will reflect badly on them as a businessman. God has heavily associated himself with the Israelites. And this isn't a small investment um, that will be a small blot on his career as God. No, he has gone all in. Here he is reminding Moses that he has made promises and in doing so has attached his very nature as a faithful God to his deliverance from them out of Egypt. If he doesn't deliver them, well then he would have gone back on his word And as as a faithful, unchanging God, he would have changed in his nature, and he can't do it. In reminding Moses of this promise, of this covenant, God is making it clear to Moses that he will surely act to save them. Moses' confidence can rest in what he sees before in this covenant. His disappointment need not color his perspective, because God has promised to be their God, to be their provider, and to work for them, and to save them. The past means that his disappointment will not govern the rest of his future. <clears throat> then, having looked back, God causes him to look forwards. In verses 6 to 8, um, he says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, 
Now redeem me with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give. God tells Moses about their future. A future where they will see him as the God who has saved them from the Egyptians. He tells Moses of this rich and bountiful land, hundreds of miles away, that he will give to them. In doing so, he speaks hope and a future into Moses. God causes him to look forwards and reminds them of where they are going, what the long-term plan is, despite their current circumstances. God takes their, their short view, causes them to look back, causes them to look forwards, He gives them the long view. In the midst of their current disappointment, he shows them the the wider picture of what is going on. We take our current disappointments and we choose to take the long view. We look back. We look back like Moses and see how God has acted faithfully towards us in the past. And at one moment in particular, um, in verse 6 here, God says to Moses, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So he has for us. He has redeemed us with, uh, with, he has redeemed us with outstretched arms and with a great act of judgment. At the cross, Jesus took the judgment we deserve for all we have done wrong in order that we, if we put our trust in him, might be redeemed, brought in and given life. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans in the New Testament, and he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. In the cross, we see the intent of God. In the cross, we see God going all in. He didn't just pay the deposit. This was no down payment. He he paid it all to bring you in. Is there a question in your mind, my friend, in your mind, my friends, to the extent to which he, the eternal, all-knowing God, has tied himself to you? Then look at the cross. Is there a question in your mind of its faithfulness? Will he be good to you? Look back and see how he has tied himself and his very nature as a faithful, good God to you, and his promise to be good to you. In the lengths of devotion we see in Jesus coming and dying on a cross, we see the ultimate expression of commitment to us, his people. If you are in Christ, he has tied himself to you. In fact, the Bible says that he would almost use you like an example where he will um, show show to the universe his great extent of his kindness by lavishing it all on you and then he'll raise you up to show you as to how kind he is. He has chosen you. He has tied himself and his faithfulness to you. He can't depart from you. He will not change in his intent towards you. What greater act could he have done to show his commitment to you? And so, in our disappointment, in uh, frustration, um, 
at seeing something not go to plan, or a life not as we expected. We look back and see the cross, and can know that after that, he will surely not stop being good to us. Jesus' crucifixion was also a time of real disappointment for many. Um, a few days after it happened, some of his friends and his mum were traveling to go to his tomb um, to kind of fulfill some Jewish burial um, rituals. And as they were going, they likely knew real heavy disappointments. He'd been their close friend and son. Um, They had seen his miracles, they'd they'd heard his teaching. Um, But so much more than that, he had known them and loved them and cared for them. So much of their hope for the future was tied up in him. And like Moses and the Israelites, they believed God was doing something in this person. But now that hope appeared to be dead. They They were met when they arrived with an empty tomb. Jesus was alive. It was so much greater than they had expected. God often doesn't act as we expect. Roman cross, an empty tomb, bricks without straw. Later on in this Exodus series, we're going to see how the Israelites leave Egypt and are set into freedom. And it would be so much greater than they ever could have expected. He does things differently. I mean, are we, are we to be surprised? I, um, I used to serve in the, in the kids' work here in the morning. Um, and I'll tell you one thing. I'm, I'm a lot smarter than those seven-year-olds. Um, <laughs> It, it, it's, it's simply a question of age. Um, I, I just see the world differently than they do. Um, I, I understand the world differently to how they do. Because um, I'm seven. Um, if God is eternal, he has always been, won't I see things differently to how he does? <coughs> won't I disagree with him at times? Won't I be disappointed when things don't go how I expect? I I know I can trust him over my own understanding. He has come through for us already in a way greater than we could ever hope for, and he will continue to. Not only that, but he has exceeded expectations. What I should have received was down here. I should be eternally separated from a God who is the source of all goodness and beauty. But not only am I forgiven for all that I've done wrong. He has brought me into something much greater than I could fully understand. There is no other stream of life than Jesus, but he's brought me to it. He has given me life, brought me to himself, made me a co-heir with Jesus, which means that I essentially inherit all he has done and made rich beyond imagination. We are given his spirit by which he makes a home inside of us to live. He has exceeded expectations. How then can my disappointment continue to color my perspective if I can look back and see how he has acted for me in the past? I remind myself of my testimony and I look at the cross and I can have confidence that he will continue to act favorably towards me. In the midst of my disappointment, I can know that he will be good to me because I can look at the cross.
He has tied his nature to us. He has tied who he is to us. He defines himself as uh, the head of the body, which is the church. And we look forward as Moses and the Israelites. They look forward to a land of their own in the future, a place where they'll be free from the bonds and chains of slavery. We look forward to what is to come. We look forward to a time where the pain of disappointments, the pain of ongoing hospital appointments or ongoing loneliness is no more. He will take all of our disappointments and make us new. The new creation, I think, is all that we really long for. And I think the reason we like aspects of this current world is that, with all its beauty, is that at times it carries a resemblance of the one to come. All of our right desires will find their realization there. In the new earth, we will know clearly what we are designed for, to enjoy Jesus himself. Living my best life now will never be true for me on this earth, and that is great news. In that new place, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things will pass away. There is no affliction that you, as a Christian, can befall that he will not undo. All that has gone before will inexplicably make sense. Disappointment will not define you. So how do we with the band up? Thanks. Um, so how can we process our, process our disappointment? Take it to God. Pray your disappointments and then leave them with Him. I find it so easy to to pray um, some pain or frustration or disappointments. And then a few days later, um, own it again and dwell upon it and treat it like it's my own. No, pray your disappointments when they come to mind, but then leave them with him. And in the midst of your disappointments, preach to yourself the gospel. Remind yourself that he is in control. He is good, and he is not derailed by your disappointment. Take the long view. Look back and see how he acted in history. And if he's acted like that, he will continue to be good to you. And look forward to all that he says that he will bring you into. We can know that our disappointments will not carry the final word in our lives. We can know that he is good. Look to the cross, look to how he has worked for you. And then take confidence that he is a good God. He'll be good to you. That's worship.